Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. from Mark chapter 10 verses 32 to 45. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem he said and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. You can drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hi Christchurch London, our passage today is Mark chapter 10, and we're going to zoom straight into verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think here we can learn four lessons about Christ-like service so that we can serve others in a way that reflects Jesus in a city that's still very much feeling the debilitating effects of the pandemic. But first, I think let's let's set the scene. Mark is writing primarily to Gentile believers and he's often translating terms that are Jewish customs for his readers. And throughout his gospel, he presents Jesus as the suffering servant, emphasizing service and sacrifice. And by the time that we reach chapter 10, Jesus has already begun his journey to Jerusalem. And so far, he's dealt with a number of issues. He's dealt with the problem of divorce. He's blessed little children that have come to him. He's answered the rich man's question about eternal life. And he's also made an announcement to the 12 disciples about his coming crucifixion. And that's, of course, a a lot already to take in. And you can imagine what it was like for the disciples. They are daily with Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, who was giving life-giving teaching every single day. And they didn't have so much as as a pen and a notepad or an iPad to note it all down. They didn't always get everything he was teaching. And that's why, as Jesus had set himself on the road to Jerusalem, where he told his disciples for the third time now that he was going to be killed when he got there. Here we have two of his disciples, James and John, from his inner circle, trying to secure the best possible positions for themselves. And they didn't get it. They didn't get what it was to be a servant in God's kingdom. 
And now we can be like a fly on the wall and hone into the scene in order to learn what it is to be a servant in God's kingdom. And the first thing to observe is this, that your position is not the priority. Your position is not the priority. And the first part of the clause, for even, Jesus uses an adverb to emphasize something surprising or extreme. And it's, sim- it, it's simple to make fairy cakes. Even a two-year-old can do it. Even the thunder and lightning didn't wake him from his sleep. Even the son of man. And what Jesus is essentially saying here is that every role requires servanthood. He was making the point that he himself wasn't excluded from the very principle that he was teaching them. He was the consummate leader. He practiced what he preached. He walked the talk. It wasn't just do uh, it wasn't just do as I say and not what I do. He showed miracle after miracle that exemplified this teaching. He healed the sick in the evening and cleansed lepers in Mark chapter 1. He healed the paralytic in Mark 2. He healed the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. He healed the Canaanite woman's daughter in Mark 7. And these don't even begin to scratch the surface of all the things that Jesus did to exemplify a life of service. He was showing his disciples all along that his position as a revered and respected leader was not his priority. That's not what he was in it for. You see, if establishing his position was his priority, he wouldn't be hanging out with a bunch of of rough fishermen and tax collectors, nor would he be determined to, to journey to Jerusalem where he'd be killed. Jesus' priority was not his position, but obedience to his father. You see, earlier on in the chapter, which we didn't have read, but we we see a story of a rich young ruler that comes up to Jesus um, and asks him a question about how he can inherit eternal life. And he leaves sulking because, you see, he realized that following Jesus would mean surrendering his position to God's kingdom. Are you that person today? A person that has made your position and your possession the prize Has your position become more important to you than the very thing that you've been called to do? That's not in my job description. I'm better than that. Do they know who I am? Are we like that? We we can often become like that. Are we like the trainee firefighter who doesn't want to enter a burning house because we don't want to get our uniform dirty? It certainly looks good and commands respect, but the uniform is simply there to enable them to do the job. Whatever position God has placed you in today is simply to enable you to serve. And we cannot lose sight of that big picture. Your position is not your priority. Obedience to God is. And obedience, of course, can be costly. We often push back from the things that cost us. The disciples certainly did. They wanted to send away the 5,000 when there was no food left. They wanted to send away the children when they came to Jesus to be blessed. They didn't want it to cost them. But they ultimately had to learn this second lesson. Our position is not the priority, but your position is personal. This is our second lesson. For even the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came came and this is the name that Jesus used of himself it's used 83 times in the gospels and it's the title Jesus used of himself more than any other titles 
It's a messianic title referring, referring back to Daniel 7 in the Old Testament, a reference to Jesus's humanity of where he came from and where he came to. He came in response to a need. He came of his own decision. He was, he was there, he was grafting. He didn't just stand afar and say, oh, I'm not going near those sinners. He didn't reel off a list of demands for us. He, he, he was Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh who dwelt among us. Christ was personally involved in the lives of the people he was with. He was moved with pity. He was angered. He was grieved by the hardness of the Pharisees. He had compassion. He was exasperated. He, he got tired. He got hungry. He was involved in the lives of the people around him. Jesus's motive was to obey his father. And the means was his personal involvement through his actions. His position wasn't the priority and you recognize his position required personal involvement. You see, it's, it's a dangerous place to be indifferent to the needs of the people around us. Like a landlord with multiple properties and tenants that they, they never visit, we can become indifferent to the people, to the lives of the people around us. See, being a leader is, is, is very personal. It's, it's just like being a servant. You can't really claim, or we can't really claim to be a leader if we're not leading. And in the same manner, we can't really claim to be a servant if we're not serving. The question is, are you serving? Are you personally and passionately involved in the tasks that God has given you? Or have we abandoned ship? Are you distracted by the tasks that God hasn't given you? Are you, are you loving and serving the community God has placed you in? Are you training yourself for godliness? Have we rolled up our sleeves in, in response to the needs of the people around us? Are you so involved with God's objective that it's become your very own? Whatever position you find yourself in today, whether it's as a husband, a wife, son, daughter, brother, sister, servant, leader, whatever it is, it requires your personal involvement. And when you're personally involved, it keeps why you're there at the forefront of your mind. It's easy to forget that we have a role to serve others. We can get so caught up in, in what about me? And it's so important that we recognize that we have to be personally involved. We can't, uh, we, we can't be absent from our role. God has called us in whatever position we find ourselves today to serve him and serve wholeheartedly. And it leads to this, this third lesson, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's a third lesson right there. Your position has a purpose. Your position has a purpose. There's a reason why you're in the position you find yourself in today. Jesus knew his position was not the priority. He knew his position required his personal involvement, but he also knew that his position was for a purpose. He hadn't come to be served, even though that would have been very fitting and right for him. But that would have brought with it a, a different outcome, one different to what was needed. He came instead to serve a need. He taught, he performed miracles, he blessed, he loved, but this was seen most clearly in his death on the cross as our sin bearer. 
This was the purpose for which Jesus was born. This was why he had come. If the priority for Jesus was the fuel and his personal involvement was the engine, then his purpose was like the the steering wheel that guided his every move. Knowing your purpose changes how you behave. It changes and affects the, uh, what, what you do. It changes your conduct, especially in times that are difficult. In 1665, the most terrifying plague that had spread across the world had landed in this city. The bubonic plague, also known as, as the Black Death, was spreading rapidly throughout the city of London. And it was causing devastation and destruction wherever it went. So many lives lost, economy in ruins, people living in fear. And Thomas Vincent was a, was a pastor who was leading a church at the heart of the outbreak in the city. And he had people being infected and overwhelmed by this disease. He was strongly urged by his fellow ministers uh, who were saying to him, essentially, get, get out, leave the city or you yourself might get infected. Then, then what good are you? Think about your own life. Think about your family, your ministry even. And you can imagine the ways that people would rationalize to, to, to encourage him to leave But despite all this, he refused. He couldn't bring himself to leave his flock in the time of their greatest need. He saw in that moment of adversity that his role had a purpose. He recognized that uh, that God may have called him for such a time as this. We too have a purpose in such a time as ours. He recognized his responsibility to the people God had given him meant that ultimately his position was to glorify God. And even if it meant his death, he was willing to ensure that he served in his position. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we read, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're here today with different responsibilities, different roles and tasks that we each have to fulfill. Think about your tasks tomorrow when maybe you're heading into work. Are you you serving in that role with the purpose of glorifying God? In whatever you do, that, that includes our work. It doesn't just mean when we come together as a church or connect group. When, when you're at work and you get that email that's not particularly worded nicely, that position right there, or that call from a customer or client that just sounds uh, sounds very distasteful and angry, that, that position right there. Or when you have a disagreement with your parents or your housemates, that right there. It's, it's in these roles that we get to glorify the Lord to be a, a servant in God's kingdom. We have to understand that our position is for a purpose and that purpose is to bring God glory, to do God's work according to God's way, according to God's word. I I love this um, anonymous quote that I came across um, and it says this, stick with your work. Do not flinch because the lion roars. Do not stop to stone the devil's dogs. Do not fool away your time chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Let liars lie. Let sectarians quarrel. Let critics malign. Let enemies accuse. Let the devil do his worst. But see to it, nothing hinders you from fulfilling with joy the work God has given you. He has not commanded you to be admired or esteemed. He has never bidden you defend your character or to track down every rumour that threatens your reputation. 
If you do these things, you will do nothing else. You will be at work for yourself, for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep at your work. Let your aim be as steady as a star. You may be assaulted, wronged, insulted, slandered, wounded and rejected, misunderstood or assigned impure motives. You may be abused by foes, forsaken by friends and despised and rejected by men. But see to it with steadfast determination, with unfaltering zeal, that you pursue the great purpose of your life and object of your being until at last you can say, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. It's a reality that you recognise that wherever you are, in your family, in your workplace, in your church, in this generation, God has put you there in a particular position for his glory, to fulfil his purpose. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. That purpose is not to serve our own needs and get our own stuff done. We have a commission that has been given to us. And so we want to be that good and faithful servant. And that should be the heart cry of every single one of us as a follower of Jesus. And sometimes we want the big stuff and big responsibilities, but actually we often fail to be faithful in the small things that God has given us to do. We want the big things with the lights and the attention and the, and the razzmatazz, but, uh, but often we find that we're not faithful on our job. We rock up late, we, um, we backbite, we gossip, we're sloppy in our work and cut corners when we should be the best workers in our workplaces. We should be working in whatever position that we find ourselves in for his glory. That should be the motivation of our heart. And we want to see his purposes, our master's purposes accomplished in all that we do, all our energy, all our resources, our personality into pursuing God's purposes in our lives. And he's given us certain personalities and certain qualities that are needed for certain positions in things that only really you are equipped for and have opportunities for. And you have those opportunities to live out this great commission wherever you are, because the reality is the manner in which we serve says a lot about the master that we serve. And this leads us to our fourth and final lesson. Your position is a picture. The way you serve in whatever you serve in is a picture of Christ. You are painting a picture. What kind of picture are you painting? Jesus had just exposed to his disciples the way the world exercises authority. They want to be served. We see it all the time. We see that real desire to, to get my own way. Uh, and for anyone who's um, watched the film Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you might remember a character in there uh, by the name of Veruca Salt. Um, and she's this little girl who gets uh, treated like a princess by her parents. And she constantly reels off a list of diva demands to her dad and constantly manipulates him to get her own way and overindulges herself by wanting to live big and have things right now, right here. And when you see and hear this character, you obviously feel the, the distastefulness of her behavior and really hope that your kids never turn out like that. And we see it for what it is, distasteful, selfish, unsightly, sin. But I think to some extent, 
We can see this in ourselves, maybe in more subtle ways, maybe in more sophisticated ways, the ways in which we manipulate people and circumstances to, to get our own way and serve our own needs. We especially, I think, recognize it um, in, in, in leaders whenever they abuse their power or resources to serve their own ambitions. Whether it's uh, MPs abusing their expenses claims or journalists forging facts to score a big story or celebrities and even church leaders abusing their positions to serve their own desires. But I think it can be reflective of, of all of us to different degrees as children, as parents, as siblings, as colleagues, as friends even. Our leadership and service should be one that is motivated by Christ-likeness. We want to paint a picture that reflects Jesus rightly. And when we lead a life with God's purpose as our priority, it's a picture of Jesus, the Son of Man. People see you differently. Think about the example that Jesus has given us in salvation. He willingly gave up the worship that should have been afforded him. His attitude was not to cling to those things or to his position, but he willingly laid them aside for a season in order to redeem you. He understood his position required his, his personal involvement. There is no greater example than in his death and resurrection. He became your sin bearer, your redeemer, justifier, sanctifier, intercessor, shepherd of your soul. Jesus didn't just roll up his sleeves, he, he laid his very life down. He understood that his purpose, purpose uh, position was for a purpose. And, and that's why in so many instances in the Gospels, uh, we read that, uh, you know, when, whenever people came up to him to make him their, their king, he didn't let them. People got so excited and wanted to make him their king, but Jesus refused to do that. And, and that's why he didn't call down legions of angels when he was being arrested and betrayed. That's why he let them crucify him. The hands that he had created, he allowed to strike him. He took the form of a true servant, submitting completely to the will of his father, even if that role meant he was going to the cross to endure the most excruciating punishment ever devised. He humbled himself. He went to the furthest extent by dying. And not just that, by dying as a, as a criminal, he took that punishment on behalf of all those who had trust in him. And he did that with the purpose of saving you. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The purpose of the cross isn't realised until we, we live to righteousness. It's twofold. He died that we might die to sin and that we might live to righteousness. We get to point people to our great God and Saviour in whatever position we find ourselves in. We live out our lives as his disciples and we paint a picture of Jesus. We tell a watching world what this Saviour has done for us. Is that your heart's desire today? And, and, and please don't hear me wrong. It's not that I'm saying that we should just serve more and serve harder. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. That our lives should look like the lives of people who have been markedly changed by this great God and Saviour. And this isn't simply an appeal to muster up more courage and sacrifice more for Jesus. It's, it's an appeal really to renounce all we have 
in order that we can obtain a life that satisfies our deepest longings. It's an appeal to count all things as rubbish for the beauty of serving the King of Kings. It's an appeal to remove the rags of our, our own kingdoms and, and put on the garments of, of God's kingdom. And it will come with, with hardships and trials for sure, but it will also come with great blessing and deep joys. And you can know this when your position is not the priority, when you recognize that your position is personal and requires your personal involvement. Your position is for a purpose and ultimately your position paints a picture, a picture of Jesus. God wants servants in his kingdom, not superstars. And thankfully that spot is already taken so we can freely serve to the glory of the King of Kings and not our own. Jesus has shown us in his example what it really means to be a superstar, the one truly deserving of all our adoration and worship and glory. For not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And I pray that is the, the heart cry and prayer of every single one of us. So Lord Jesus, we, we bring our day, we bring our week before you, we bring our month and our years ahead wherever we find ourselves, whatever positions we're in. Lord, I pray, Lord, would you fill us and enable us with your Holy Spirit to live out those roles and those tasks and those positions with your purpose in mind. Help us to be personally involved to the needs of those around us, to minister and serve to the needs of those in our city, in our workplaces, in our homes in our church. And Lord, I pray that as we as we are empowered to live out this life, it would just paint a magnificent picture of Jesus that tells and shows a watching world what it means to be your to be your follower, to be your servant, to be your disciple, to love God and to love neighbor. Lord Jesus, thank you that you didn't come to be served, but you came to serve, ultimately to save our great, to serve our greatest need, to give us salvation and a relationship with you, so that we would spend eternity magnifying, glorifying your name. I pray that um, for those listening who don't who don't know you um, yet, that they would. Um, come to know that for themselves, Lord. And I pray for every one of us as followers, Lord, that we would live out this calling. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to christchurchlondon.org.